Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ian Peppel, who is the Retail Business Transformation Project Lead for Heart of England Co-op. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? Hi, Simon. Good today. Thanks. Good. That's, it is, I think, I said it off air, one of the longest job titles we've had and I stuttered as I got it out there, but uh, delighted to have you on. We've been uh, working closely together over the last few months, so I think today's going to be really interesting where we speak to somebody who's doing the job, who's kind of seeing the benefits of some of the challenges that are out there and also you know feeling the pain of some of the things that are, that are happening out there in the world as we come out of covid so before we get into the detailing let's find out a bit more about you do you want to tell us about your career and how you ended up having the longest job title known to co-op where did yeah. you start and what did you do yeah sure so um i've uh, worked in, in retail um for sort of man and boy since uh, leaving school, really, as, as many of us uh, retailers have, I originally worked for for Group uh, before joining what was then um, Safeway, a bit of a blast from the past, which was uh, taken over by Morrison's. Went through some change programs uh, and assimilation with them um, to get into to Morrison's before then having an opportunity to join um, Heart of England Co-op um, in a store manager role. So I came in, worked for Society for uh, eight or nine years uh, before moving on to an area uh, manager role, uh, looking after 11 stores. Um, and then coming out of the back of that, um, being offered the opportunity to come in to head up our retail business transformation program uh, within society. I've been doing that since the start of this year. Brilliant. So seeing it kind of from from shop floor up, like many of us, as you say, fell into retail. I don't, I don't think anybody starts out with a a retail career as their their plan in life and I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing but like you I probably fell into it enjoyed my time in it and um, if you work hard and do the right things you can kind of get on very quickly can't you exactly that it's full of opportunity absolutely so in terms of people can get a a feel what kind of geography does the heart of England co-op cover so we're covering uh, Warwickshire Northamptonshire uh, South Leicestershire Okay, and give, give us a, an overview of the society and we'll come on to in a second the difference between the society and groups. So what, what does Heart of England look like, number of stores and kind of typical makeup? Yeah, so currently we're operating uh, 35 food stores. Uh, we've also got a funeral division and some non-trade properties that we operate as well. Employing around uh, 800 colleagues, around 600 in the in the food division. Um, 35 stores currently, a couple more to come on board uh, next year, hopefully three actually. And um, we're going through an acquisition uh, program at the moment to try and go through a, a rapid period of, of growth. Brilliant. So think things looking good, number of stores are improving. What is the difference then between co-op group and one of the societies? I'm sure some people listening will know. I'm sure, so, sure some people listening will have no idea that there actually are different societies and thought it was all just co-op group. Yeah, so as, as one of the, the 13 independent um, cooperative societies, uh, we form part of uh, FRTS. So we have links with um, co-op group, the TCG, and this is operates so that we can get the benefits of, of the larger buying group. So the buying group is owned and controlled by each of the member societies but is managed by tcg on the behalf of us um but we're able to then tie into the benefits that we get from obviously the, the larger buying group 
So it is kind of as it says on the tin, it, it it's a cooperative of lots of individual societies that come together to harness the buying power. But then the biggie society in effect is what you class as co-op group. That's correct, yeah. One of the things we were going to talk about today, and it's interesting because you talked about having 35 stores and that number growing and there's some acquisitions, there's some new stores on the way. So that that estate's going in in the right direction. You're going to end up with more stores, which is good. And and one of the things we've been talking about off air is this whole reducing variance across stores and trying to become more centrally controlled or have more central governance process routine, however you want to, to phrase it. It's helping the stores do the right things at the right time and taking away some of the thinking and therefore variance. What kind of started you on that journey? How did you start to understand that was the direction that you wanted to go? Was there a moment in time or has it been something that's been building for a number of years? Yes, I think effectively it's something that's been building for a number of years. Um, We had a a new general manager um, start from the food division um, as as often is a catalyst of um, some new ideas we saw that the business needed to evolve to face into the challenges obviously within a convenience retail market at the moment and we saw productivity and efficiency as part of that to go in line with uh, an aggressive growth strategy that we've got um, set out within our five-year plan within the society. You've as you said, been out in the fields, you've you've been field manager for some of the, the stores in the society. What things by having less central control and more local ownership what there must be some benefits to do that otherwise you wouldn't have been as successful as you are to date what kind of things does that drive when people have got all more autonomy at a store level so what we've seen is um, across our, our current 35 store estate is that we may have multiple people in across the 35 locations trying to solve a problem that we see that maybe could be fixed centrally and the information generally that we would receive in the center would be more likely to solve the issues that we're trying to confront um, across the stores. We also see that the the people development um, within the stores is really a key success to our future. And by equipping those with uh, a better depth of, of training will enable us to deliver an improved service for our customers. So the central operation can take a lead on delivering the, the stock to the stores so that the managers and then store teams can then focus in on uh, delivering at store level for customers. And that that potentially is going to feel very different, isn't it? Because rightly, like you say, you could have 35 stores or 35 people, one in each store, trying to solve the same problem. And they they may come up with 35 different answers, which potentially is a good or or bad thing. But that whole people-focused developing the people to deliver, that's going to feel very different when you start to really get under the skin of that journey and push it forward isn't it from a, at a local store point of view than it than it will now and is there kind of that recognition that some people will find that journey quite difficult because they'll feel like they have less control almost yes i think um we're already sort of feeling that as we um start to change the direction in, in which we're going we've had to put a, a new category team into the the office and an admin side of the business um, for them to, to deal with the challenges that we see centrally for us to be able to get the right um, output for the stores store teams are used to having the autonomy to be able to order what products they want within their range although that they're, they're working to range in plans they do have 
the accessibility of ordering products um, to en- enhance their range at a, lo- a local level. So by locking that down, it can take away some of the feeling of the commercial levers that they can pull. So we need to get the balance right between equipping the stores with the autonomy to be able to still develop their their stores. We're still giving them the same KPIs. We want them to, to grow the sales and control the costs. Um, but we see that we can, through the data, we can look at the, the costings and the profitabilities and drive that better centrally and have one way of working, which is really key to our future growth. Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. So lots of exciting stuff that you're currently under underway with. So there must have been a really difficult period for you being one of the kind of essential retailers through the whole COVID period. So like lot, lots of your competitors and others within the society and group, you, you stayed open and, and served the nation, which I think we were we were all grateful for because really the only place we could go was out for a walk or a walk around the, the supermarket in those really, really tough lockdown times. But that must have driven a number of productivity challenges, maybe unlocked some benefits as well. But what kind of things are on your, um, I suppose, roadmap or keep you awake at night at the moment in terms of current productivity challenges well so i think firstly with regards to covid our teams were fantastic we we never had to close the store um we managed to operate uh, in challenging circumstances and the people that were on the front line all did a fantastic job and some of the feedback we got was was very pleasing to hear i think going forwards um We've got the, the HFSS, high fat, salt and sugar on the horizon, which is going to change the way all retailers have to operate. Um, so the online. If people aren't familiar with that, what, what does that mean? Because it, it, sounds, it sounds quite bold and different. So what, what does it mean for a typical Heart of England store HFSS? So I think obviously government legis- legislation, um, as they try to address the, the obesity um, issue within the country, um, we will not be able to stock any products, clusters, high fat, salt or sugar within certain locations within the store, and predominantly the, what would currently be promotional ends, um, the, the pickup points by the tills and the queuing systems and some of our um, off-shelf promotional stacks um, that we would have at, at the front of the store, which obviously drive in um, basket spend and additional uh, purchases for us at the moment. There's going to be a significant amount of maybe products that you're not going to stock anymore or certainly not not in the same quantities but also rethinking that whole promotional strategy space allocation so that that's some quite big stuff right yeah i think it's obviously challenges um for us it's a challenge for the suppliers and manufacturers to reformulate products um recent numbers i've been seeing sort of 14 percent decrease in, in confectionery potentially so some real high volume products that we'd currently have at the minute potentially having a a decline in sale so we need to replace that with products which are in line um, with the legislation and try and drive the, the healthy sustainable message um, that we want to be doing as a cooperative reseller that's one big piece of work by the sounds of it what what else is um on your mind or keeping you up at night i think the challenge of online and how best as a, as a convenience retailer um it, it feels a little bit alien to be doing the online transactions but we really need to embrace that um, our, our bread and butter clearly is still the, the bricks and mortar stores at the moment, but the, the further south you go and more sort of city centric um, stores become a, a bigger online opportunity. But as anything, it's, it's spreading north and we see that we've linked up with Snappy Shopper 
and we see opportunities for further e-commerce um, to, to grow our estates um, and turnover in that line as well. Makes sense in that there's clearly other things that affect everybody on the horizon so minimum wage that seems to be again a, a big debate for people we as we record today there's lots of stuff in the news around uh, energy prices going up again and you know the cost of living generally being more expensive because we can't get things into the country for various reasons so minimum wage must must be a consideration as well yeah definitely obviously a lot of costs um coming towards the business you've mentioned energy there which will, will have an impact the, the distribution network has, has been a challenge um for all manners of, of convenience retail um the minimum wage continues obviously on its its upward uh, trajectory so part of the uh, impetus for us to begin obviously efficiency program is to look at how we can operate our stores in, in the most efficient and, and productive manner and face into the, the challenges that are coming our way minimum wage is an interesting one because it's what five years old now is it maybe yeah, yeah four or five years old somewhere around there anyway it with this whole shift in more central governance if you like and then getting the stores to focus on their people develop the people to really drive service advocacy and all those great things that you want to get under as you're paying people more by default, so the minimum wage base, do you think you've seen an increase in productivity for those people? Do you think you've seen an increase in output or actually of all we've done, and I'm not talk, talking heart of England here, but as a, as a country is increased people's base wage and therefore we potentially have to increase team leaders, assistant managers, managers' wages to keep the differential without asking more from them? I think we've seen also during COVID, haven't we? The um, UK figures of productivity um, was was spelled out, and that obviously there was improvements. I think if if we look at it internally from what we've seen um, during COVID, we stripped away some of the, the task for our stores to be able to focus on just serving the customers. So we did see internal productivity gains, but that was also by stripping away some of the task in the way that we operated. But as we start to settle. Um, I think that as we put the operation back to back to normal effectively is that, yes, we probably are seeing the productivity levels um, fall back. And certainly the work that we've done with yourselves around the efficiency study, uh, we've seen that we've, we've got some areas to improve. I think I think it's an interesting one to watch if you kind of graphed productivity over the last five years and maybe, you know, no one could have predicted the pandemic those people who do sit on minimum wage proportionally have had a really significant pay rise there was a big concern that we'd end up with less people because of it because clearly it's a big cost to every business every year um i suppose the jury's still out for me of have we seen the benefit from a service level or productivity point of view of those significant double digit kind of pay rises for people or actually have all we've done is pay people more i, I don't know I'm, and we won't answer it on this podcast but i think it's an interesting dichotomy for all people that have to embrace that hourly rate increase every year as a as an employer yeah obviously we're inheriting some of the, the cost um and it, it's it's bringing challenges that effectively we, we are trying to face into as i keep saying talking about facing into the challenges then what kind of things have you got on your roadmap to start to address some of those challenges and, and things we've described that um stop you from being more centrally centrally kind of driven and then more people focused and development focused at a local level so i think i've just touched on obviously the work we've been doing um with yourselves where we've looked at 
uh, an efficiency study, a role study, effectively try to map out the the task that we've got that potentially we we can strip away. Uh, I think we've highlighted gains in in all areas, predominantly in the, the way that we move our stock through the business. So we're undertaking a a warehouse um, and stock movement project at the moment, where we've put our products into sort of fast moving and slower moving categories. At the moment, we would generally work where we we have deliveries, um, which will work on day one. On day two, we'll try and work our back stock and our stores will operate in in almost an automatic manner. So we're just trying to take a step back and look at the priorities that the customer needs to see making sure we're getting the availability and the standards that we would expect, but just doing that in a manner that's focused in on just gaps on shelves effectively, and then just filling and delivering the standard for the customers as as we see before us on a daily basis. So kind of stocking, first time fit to shelf, correct levels of back stock for those high selling products, and then kind of clear inventory management to, I suppose, understand what's a true gap or what's actually a gap through a local store stock count file accuracy piece, yeah? Yeah, the the inventory management part is something we've really sort of put an onus on to as well because we recognise we've got a saving to make by just having a lower amount of stock. Stop double handling stock clearly brings some some time efficiencies. Some big things on the agenda then in terms of ways of working, refocusing store teams on developments in different areas rather than 35 ways of trying to solve the same problem and I know you along with your colleagues in some of the other societies have a really really aggressive kind of sustainability agenda so two things I just wanted to touch on were um, Gander and Too Good To Go because I know you guys are big advocates of of those types of um, technologies. Yeah we've um, I've been working on the waste reduction um, after some time now we recently launched with uh, Gander into our stores after a, a trial. Uh, that has had some positive effects. Uh, we are also trialling uh, Too Good To Go. So we're looking at different ways and, and what is most effective. We do also lo- uh, link in with Fair Share, uh, which links in with Central England Co-op as our uh, distribution supplier, where they will um, take products with best before dates um, centrally uh, and redistribute. So clearly within our community, at the heart of the community that we want to operate in, is a key thing for what we're doing at the moment. Yeah, and again, if people aren't familiar with Gander or Too Good To Go, if you've got Android, uh, iOS, you can download the apps and then you can start to see, you'll see the retailers that are involved. They'll post for, I think it's Too Good To Go mystery bags where they'll fill things with short dates. So certainly some of the co-ops do it. I think start some local Starbucks are on there and others. Uh, and Gander the same. So when there's, price reductions you'll start to see those on the app so again really good from a sustainability point of view and great from a, a waste point of view and there's a benefit clearly as a consumer and for those um those retailers and organizations that buy in to sell through the product rather than waste which is you know what we're all striving not to do i think it's given us a really strong potential to to achieve our zero waste goal we bring in these initiatives in yeah, no, it's it's good to see you on board with it, and you know, lots of organisations are out there, and they've put those stakes in the ground that they're working towards, and yeah, it seems it seems to be a really big drive behind it at the moment, which it, which is good to see. It, it'll also be good to reflect of who made it, who fell, who fell short, and and who exceeded, because as ever in the world, there'll be there'll be some that did a great job, and some it was just a statement, but 
you guys, I can really see the action you put behind it. So uh, I am sure you will get there. Yeah, the community part um, for us it is set out within our sort of five-year plan of we've got strong uh, growth um, incentives um, throughout the society to really sort of push on in that area as well. So final question for me before we wrap up, one for everybody on the podcast is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? To face into the challenges, but to to embrace the challenges. Every day comes with it with a new challenge. Um, don't get um, don't get frustrated by facing into these. Just embrace them and fix them, and we can move on. There's always a solution. Yeah, wise word. Sometimes sometimes tricky because you get stuck in the moment, don't you? Uh, but but when you look back, those things that were thrown at you those challenges and certainly certainly retail has a habit of curveballing you i'd say every now and again but probably even more than that they're never quite as tricky or difficult as big as they may seem at the time so no that that's a good one in like that we'll stop there i think uh really good to chat and catch up thanks for the kind of insight into what you've been doing at heart of england and where you're heading sounds like a really exciting journey you're on so we'll we'll keep tabs on it thanks for coming on Okay, thanks for your uh, input into the work we've uh, been doing together, Simon. It's been uh, very useful. Pleasure.